Good afternoon. Welcome to a special extended edition of Jay's Talk Plus. Jay's Talk Plus Plus, double plus. It is the Major League Baseball trade deadline. That is at 6 p.m. Eastern. We're on with you until 5. I'll be on with you until like 5.30 or so. Fan drive time kicks in at 5 with Ben Ennis. I'll be on there. J.D. Bunkus will be on there at some point. I'd imagine everyone else in the baseball reporting world will be on there as well. We've got a loaded lineup. Producer JR doing the work behind the glass. Joe Siddle and Chris Black. Drew Fairservice. John Morosi. Ben Nicholson-Smith. Shai Davidi. Uh, of course, whoever else becomes relevant as the Blue Jays make deals or don't make deals. A lot going on around baseball today. Juan Soto is on his way to San Diego. That's the big one. Uh, the American League continues to get stronger. The Toronto Blue Jays have made a move. Reportedly, uh, Shai Davidi first on this one. Jordan Groshans will go to the Miami Marlins for Anthony Bass, Zach Pop, and a player to be named later. It's not going to match Juan Soto for headlines. We'll get into each of those two guys a little later. It's two extra right-handed bullpen arms. Anthony Bass with a really, really strong season so far. Zach Pop with some uh, potential upside if he can better balance that slider-sinker combo to make him more than just a ground ball specialist. Let's zoom out, though. Uh, we got a lot of time to talk Anthony Bass and Zach Pop. We should set up some of the remaining needs for the Toronto Blue Jays uh, here ahead of 6 p.m. I'm now joined by Chris Black, producer at Sportsnet, and Joe Siddle, who you know from the Blue Jays broadcast from Blue Jays Central. Joe, how are you, man? Fantastic. I uh, was hoping to hear some bigger news, but it's <laughs> not 6 p.m. Eastern just yet. So it, I'll wait. It's not just yet. And people are itching. And, and of course, when names like Juan Soto and Luis Castillo and Frankie Montes are going around, uh, people are going to raise the bar and move the goalposts to 2 p.m. Uh, before we get into trade stuff, Joe, I, I have to, the journalist in me requires asking this. Chris told me before we came on air that he uh -oh. beat you in a round of golf recently. I just, I got to get to the bottom of this because that sounds like a lie. Yeah, that's really interesting because the last two times I came on, he didn't say anything about the <laughs> golf games we had. <laughs> uh, I wonder why that could be. I he only talk about wins. Well. He played well yesterday. I didn't play very well. I'm going to say I handed it to him. I think he's been better. Would you agree, Blackie? Mildly, mildly better. Mildly. Just reaching my potential, Siddle. That's all. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> uh, well, that's uh, that's good to see. A uh, little update here from John Heyman. Brett Phillips has lots of uh, lots of suitors, um, and I only bring that up because Chris, I know you are losing your mind <laughs> at the overreaction to the twenty-six man spot. Could the Blue Jays upgrade on Bradley Zimmer? Uh, Brett Phillips, who is Bad Bradley Zimmer with better vibes. Uh, you're shaking your head. You all right, man? Let's just move on. There are much more important things to talk about. I did enjoy it for comedic purposes, but much bigger things to talk about today. All right. So the, the biggest thing I think to talk about, and maybe the Jays get in the mix from a starter, we'll for a starter, we'll talk about some possible additions there. Um, but Joe, even with the additions of Anthony Bass and Zach Pop. Um, Anthony Bass clocking in around a 25% strikeout rate, not elite swing and miss stuff. Zach Pop, more of a ground ball specialist. This still looks like a bullpen who needs someone who can miss some bats and get out of a jam at the back end, right? Exactly. That's what I was kind of waiting for. That's what I've been waiting for for over 24 hours now. 
And that's what I'm still waiting for. That's why when I said those names, they didn't really excite me. That's why. I, I'm, we've been talking a lot over the last week, especially leading up to the deadline. Um, and I say we, you know, me and Jamie on our show, you know, Chris and I on the golf course, everywhere on radio shows, and it's everybody knows that this team needs more swing and miss. And I, the reason I say that is this is a solid bullpen. It's okay. It's fine for the 162. It can work, and it can get this team in the playoffs because of their other strengths, namely their lineup. But we all know in October, we cover the playoffs every year, and you need guys that can get swing and miss. Crazy things happen in October, and a lot of it is chance, and a lot of it is anybody can beat anybody. We know that. But how many times do we see starters chased out of a game early, and you're relying on bullpen arms to carry you through? How many times have we said, hey, it's a five-inning game, sometimes four and two-thirds inning game, because then you (laughs) hand it over to the big arms, whatever team it is that we're talking about. So that's why, um, you know, as good of major league relievers that the Blue Jays have in Phelps and Richards and Garcia and Simber and the list goes on, solid major league relievers, but not the guys I want crunch time in October baseball. If it's October 20th, then you're playing the Houston Astros or the New York Yankees. And that's why I'm looking for more high-powered type guys with swing and miss. And Jays fans know intimately what it's like to be on the other side of that. You can go back to 2015 when the whole thing in that Royal series was every game, six innings, because you got mm-hmm. three guys who can come in and shut the door. And even that Rays series, that, that short one in 2020, same kind of thing. Um, Chris, the Jays ranked 27th in swinging strike rate out of the bullpen. So basically the fourth worst team in terms of getting swings and misses uh, from their back end. Why is that skill in particular? Like, why are we narrowing in on swing and miss in your eyes? And why is that kind of statistically more important than just get the guy with the best ERA? Swing and miss removes the element of luck. The ball is not in play. The pitcher has ultimate control. If he can, if he can get hitters to swing and miss or take a pitch for a called strike, that's why CSW is so valuable. Um, CSW, by the way, is your called strike plus swinging yeah. strike rate. So it takes fouls out of it uh, and things like that. It's basically how many strikes did the pitcher earn? Yeah, exactly. So you're taking the element of can a ball find a hole? Can a ball become a sack fly? Can the wind take it and push it over the fence? You're controlling what happens. So I, it totally makes sense. If you look at highest whiff rate uh, by bullpens in the majors, it's Yankees, Astros, and Mets. <laughs> Yeah, those three bullpens are pretty good. So, yeah, there's a strong correlation between swing and miss and the quality of a bullpen. I will say, like, right away, Anthony Bass goes into that bullpen, and he has the third highest swing and miss rate in the bullpen behind Romano and a guy who you're going to laugh at me, Trevor Richards, who, yes, he gives up home runs. Can he be a usable piece? Probably not this year. But So Bass already becomes one of their best swing and miss options, whether it's not elite elite but it's better than a lot of the guys that they have. So I do think, I do like the Bass pickup. It's kind of a sneaky low. Yes, it's not a big name. It's not David Robertson. It's not Gregory Soto, who I would love the Jays to get. But I like the $3 million club option for next year. I just, I think it's a sneaky kind of under the radar move that these guys are kind of known for and are good at. Yeah, and I think the pop side of it is something that fits this front office too in that, yeah, he's young and controllable and that's great, but um, there is immediately when his name came out, there were a few of the kind of deeper pitching analysts on baseball Twitter being like, oh, this guy has 
a really good slider. He just doesn't throw it. And that's something we've seen the Jays gamble on with, with fringe guys before is maybe if you can balance out the pitch mix or, or work on the, the tunneling or the shape of a slider or something, then it plays off that elite sinker. Um, Joe, in terms of the swing and miss stuff, and, and just in general, because I'm looking at here at who is likely to go down with the addition of Anthony Bass. And, and I think Anthony Bonda would be at the top of that list, which leaves you with just Tim Meza from the left side. Um, when you look at a bullpen and how you want a bullpen structured for the stretch run for a playoff series, whether it's righty lefty or this element of swing and miss versus ground ball stuff, pitch to contact stuff, how much is that diversity of your bullpen a factor for you? It's still big for me because if I'm going to the bullpen at a critical time, whether it's the sixth inning or the eighth inning and it's Anthony Rizzo or it's Jordan Alvarez, it might be a righty that has great splits against lefties, but I still want a lefty that has good splits against lefties. (laughs) I just think it's tougher on the hitter. I mean, numbers can tell you a, a lot of things. Some of the things you guys just went over right there, fascinating, right? What numbers can tell you, but. Uh, I got to believe that Jordan Alvarez does not want to face Gregory Soto as opposed to Anthony Bass. Yeah. That's, so uh... that's, that's kind of where I'm going. And Tim Mays, we know he's had a nice run and he's still doing well. He's a very good major league reliever, as I said, but I'm not sure he's quite the same right now. And I'm not sure he's striking the fear into Rizzo or Jordan Alvarez, or the list goes on any other lefties you might face in October. Again, I'm keep talking about October because that's when everything's going to matter. I'm almost going under the assumption, guys, this team's going to the playoffs. I mean, if they don't go to the playoffs, they could stay as is. And if they don't go to the playoffs to me, it's a big failure. I would, I think it would take a lot. So let's just, I'm going on that assumption. I know you can't assume, but, but that's why I keep giving these October examples. And I thought some of those numbers, Chris, you're rattling off there, but the swing and miss, like I knew about Trevor Richards, but a lot of the swing and miss I'm going to venture to guess is to change up against lefties and tons of it. But we know how many mistakes he can make too with that fastball and how he's not been in the zone and all those other things. So he might be like on this swing and miss kind of leaderboard, but by no means do I want him out there at crunch time. So you got to make sure you peel back the layers too, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And just a little, uh, a little news item here. The the Jays just tweeting that uh, the Phillies claimed Andrew Vasquez off of waivers. So I don't think Andrew Vasquez was in anyone's bullpen plans for the playoffs, but there's another lefty uh, option out there. Um, there you go. And that's going to clear a 40 man spot. So one other way the Jays could theoretically improve the bullpen for the playoffs is to add a back end starter that then gives them the wiggle room to, Hey, if you say Kikuchi doesn't figure it out, maybe you try him back there. Or what I think is a likelier move. Ross Stripling has been excellent as a starter, but he's already projecting to go way past his career high in innings. We know he's very effective in that kind of utility bullpen long man role. And you'd think maybe Trent Thornton is headed to the minors too. If Zach pop is going to stay on the roster. I don't think they would move him, move either of them immediately, but Chris, do you see a value beyond if we're talking, say a number four kind of starter, do you see a value beyond just what that guy does as a starter because it can improve your bullpen? For sure. And I do think Stripling's the most flexible or multi-dimensional pitcher the Jays have. As you said, he's on pace for 140 innings. His previous career highs in the 120s. Manoa is the big one to me. Mm-hmm. He's on pace for 200. Get him an extra off day here yeah. and there. Maybe even go six man for, yeah. for busier stretches. That's what I am kind of looking at. So when the when Syndergaard popped up as a name last night, it totally made sense for me as someone. 
I never really thought they were in play for the Castillos of the world and that top-end starter. Now we have Gossman and Manoa and Barrios all pitching relatively well. And Ryu and Kikuchi still on the books financially for next year. Exactly. But for me, the, nut, the, the note that stood out when I looked this up, since 2015, only one pitcher as young as Manoa has thrown 200-plus innings in a season, Shane Bieber. So huh. this just isn't something that happens a lot. And I... Like, it's, it feels good and kind of tough to say stuff like this doesn't matter and what's 10 innings at the end of the year. and six. But you want him to be at his best in October, right? Like, exactly. it's, not, it's not just worrying about his arm long term. It's worrying about, hey, is this guy Alec Manoa in a playoff series? Yeah, and you don't know. And we've kind of seen a little bit of tailing off from how he started the year. Now, is that from inning load? Who knows? Oh, they would know better than we would. But I just, I think... I think there's value in adding a starter, and it doesn't need to be a top-end guy. It might be a six-man rotation. It might be moving somebody back to the pen. Maybe you're picking somebody up that could be a bullpen option as well. So I think there's lots of options, but I think there's the benefits of picking up a guy like that could be he could help out a lot of different guys. Joe, do you do you see do you put stock in that as well? Whether it's the the Manoa aspect, the bullpen aspect, even the option to go to a six man. When you hear names like Cindergard um, getting kicked around here at this last hour, th- these last hours rather, there are a few other Cindergard tier names out there, but Cindergard's kind of the the name value one. Um, are you with Chris and I that that has a trickle down effect that could help you more than just hey a guy with a four ERA who can eat some innings? Yeah, it can help you, but it doesn't excite me at all. Yeah, I still think <laughs> I still think what excites me is I keep talking about this bullpen. Yeah. And so so far it hasn't happened. I think you, it's a little patchwork. I mean, when you say if Kikuchi doesn't pan out, you put him in the bullpen. Well, what makes you think he's going to pan out in the bullpen, right? Like, so if, I, I'm if, with if, you. I don't think he's a, a rational. Um, like he's a guy who no. struggles first time through the order. Yeah, and it's, even Ross, though, even Stripling, as mm-hmm. good as he's been, so if you bring in a Syndergaard and you watch Manoa's innings and Ross ends up in the bullpen, well, that's great, but Ross also isn't as good as Ross is. Again, I, you know, Anthony Bass is having a very good year. I don't want to shoot down Anthony Bass here. Give him credit. He's having a very good year. I guess it's just the Anthony Bass that I know and I've seen in the past. That shouldn't matter as much as what he's doing right now, so that's a very good thing. But like Ross, as good as he is right now, that – doesn't do a whole lot for me going one time through the order out of the bullpen, like compared to some of the big arms, like for example, that we just saw Detroit throw at the Blue Jays <laughs> over the last weekend. And, and unless one of those guys comes, they might not, but I mean, there were three and four names there that I think we'd all agree. We'd love to see in the Blue Jays bullpen mm-hmm. and it hasn't happened. Maybe it still will, but it hasn't happened yet. Those are the things that excite me a lot more than shoring up the back of the rotation with the Syndergaard, despite the pluses he would bring, like you said, guarding innings for Manoa. I mean, everybody thinks Alec Manoa is this big, strong guy. He can do it. He can do it. Well, I shouldn't say everybody, but I hear people say that. And I said, well, <laughs> it's fun to think he's a big, strong, physical guy and he's tough and all that stuff, but it, you know what? Those innings probably will impact him. And as Chris noted, I, maybe he's already showing a little bit of that. He's human too. Joe, I'm with you on it's not as exciting. It, it wouldn't get you. It's not as sexy to use a term, mm-hmm. but uh, part of doing three hours today is expectation <laughs> management. So uh, I got to I gotta at least set up the possibility that the Jays come out of this uh, without that that big, big arm. One other area I'm curious as to both your take because Rymel Toppy is a guy that we've talked about and he's certainly trending in the right direction. Kevin Biggio, since he came back from the mind, that stint in the minors has been really effective as kind of an OBP utility guy. When you guys look at who's potentially out there, 
and I'm thinking maybe second base specifically, given Espinal's cooled off a little bit. Um, Joe, is that something that you'd still be exploring, that sort of lineup versatility, get another guy who can hit from the left side and play either center or second? Or are, are we, am I getting the same answer from you of, no, Blake, I want bullpen arms. Well, absolutely. I'm still with number one is bullpen arms because regardless of what you do to the offense or a left-handed bat or anything, you still need guys to get outside of a bullpen if you are going to do well in October. But in terms of the left-handed bat, there is probably very good reason we keep hearing Ian Happ's name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with Tapia and Vigio, they've both done a nice job. And you just mentioned how Cavan's been good since he came back from the IL, but he's also kind of turning back into Cavan a little bit in the month of July. Like things have kind of gone south a little bit. So I think what happens Sometimes is people, you know, Kevin comes back from the injured list, for example, he's doing really well. And all of a sudden everybody's talking about how great he is and how he might challenge us all these different things. And it's like, well, every, you always have to give it time, right? And give it time for him to come back and for the league to know he's back and make adjustments and all. And I think we're starting to see his struggles again. Tapia is just a funny guy. Like the results <laughs> are really good. It's just, I don't know how he does it with that swing, but it's just, he gets hit. But in saying that, I mean, yeah, neither one of those guys to me are guys that I want starting a ton of games. I think they're ideal guys to have off the bench. I think Toppy's a perfect fourth outfielder. I think Kevin's a perfect extra infielder, extra outfielder. You know, give a guy a day off once in a while, but I don't think you want these guys playing four and five days a week. So bringing in a half or something, of course, that will help. I love the added dimension. I'm like, it, to me, it's a better left-handed bat when you're facing those tough righties. Now, is it, is it adding much? I mean, he's a, probably a better major league hitter than those two guys. That's why I like the idea with the flexibility. But the the Springer thing, not only with his elbow right now, but Chris, you've said this for a long time. How much longer is he going to be able to play center field? So you're going to have to start looking down that road eventually. So why not do it now when you're, you're, you're making your run? I mean, it's 2022, right? We've been talking about this year for like three years now. Yep. And it? this is the year to, I don't want to say all in or whatever, but Bigger, sexier moves than what we're seeing so far today. Let's put that way. The name I mentioned most to Joe on the golf course yesterday was Gregory Soto. Yeah. Which we've discussed. The name I've mentioned to Joe the most over the last year, like literally since late last season, yes. I think, yes. is Cedric Mullins of Baltimore. <gasps> I, I don't I don't think a move would come together this quickly. Yeah. But he's he, 27 and has three more years of control. If you're Baltimore and you're this close. Are they that close? Like this are is they the part. They're, they're I, I know. I, well, I, I mean, they're this close, big picture. Yes. Like, I don't think they're making it this year, but they're not that. I don't think they think they're that far off from being a competitive team in the AOEs. And not only have they graduated a lot of prospects to the majors, a lot of that number one system in baseball is in double AA and triple A. Like, they're, I'd be surprised if Mullins is available, but yeah, he's kind of a perfect fit. He's, if so. a guy, he's a guy I would overpay for. Whatever the reasonable return is for him, I would overpay to make that deal happen. Just the George Springer, George Springer's health is like the big unknown question mark that affects what the Blue Jays are doing right it, now. Over is the it next unknown? Well, the guy's getting every second day know, off because exactly. of his elbow. He can't throw or hit, but he's healthy. A hundred, a yeah. hundred starts in center field over the last two years. Yeah. So I think that impacts what they're doing over the next four hours. I think that impacts what they do in the off season. To me, it's the big. It's the big talking point over the next over the next few months. So Mullins is my dream <laughs> acquisition. Let, switch hitter, can play center, can go get it. You slide Springer to right. PH. Fits in with them being a little more aggressive oh, on all, the base paths of yeah. late. 
It's it good. all fits. Joe, and it would have the added benefit of you don't have to hear Chris talk about Cedric Mullins anymore. Well, Correct. you hear him talk about it, but not pine after him. Uh, Joe, thanks so much for taking the time, man. I know it's a busy one for you. Uh, really appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, hopefully there's a lot more fun over the next few hours. Sure. Hope so. Uh, Chris, thanks, buddy. I know you got a, I know you got, well, no, you're a tennis guy tennis. these days. Tennis. Love. When does that start? Love. Uh, next I'm, Monday? I'm working on it as oh, we speak. There you but go. The, uh, it goes to air next Monday. All right. Less well, then uh, get out of here. You're not even a baseball guy. What do we have you on for? Uh, Chris Black and Joe Siddle of Sportsnet. The, what are we going to call it? We'll call it the Danny Jansen, uh, Yusei Kikuchi of, uh, of producer oh, talent, uh, producer talent combos. Uh, thanks for taking the time, guys. We're going to take a break. When we come back from down in Tampa, Shai Davidi of Sportsnet uh, joins us. Give us a little more on bass and pop and see what else the Jays might be up to. That's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Eric Cosmer headed to the Boston Red Sox. According to Joel Sherman and John Heyman, that'll probably just be a money dump. That's about 60 million still left on that. Joey Gallo, one of my favorite, hey, kick the tires in the bargain bin at the last minute targets uh, off to the Dodgers pending physicals. Uh, that's per Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. And if you didn't like my thirstiness for a cheap Joey Gallo, the Dodgers doing it should let you know I was right. And it was a good move. Uh, the move the Jays have made, hopefully not the last one. Uh, they have acquired Anthony Bass, Zach Pop, and a player to be named later for infield prospect Jordan Groshans. Shai Davidi of Sportsnet.ca joins us now to break it down. Shai, how are you, man? I'm all right. What's going on, Blake? Uh, just, you know, covering the trade deadline, waiting for more and more news. And the big question that I've gotten from listeners and readers is, this isn't it for the Jays, is it? I mean, I don't think so. We'll, we'll see what, uh, with how much time has been left. Three hours, three and a half hours. We'll see what, the, what they end up presenting. But this is certainly one of the areas that they wanted to take care of. Uh, they've got some uh, more swing and miss, a little bit more velocity for their bullpen. Uh, that was an obvious and clear need. You know, uh, Zach Pop, the guy who you can use sort of earlier in the game, fifth, sixth inning kind of situation, extreme ground ball guy. Maybe get a double play to get you to get the the Blue Jays out of a jam, fifth, sixth inning kind of situation. And Anthony Bass is someone that the, the Blue Jays are familiar with from 2020, uh, who can be a seventh, eighth inning setup guy and help get the ball to Jordan Romano. So uh, a couple of uh, a couple of important pickups for a bullpen that needed those types of arms. Why are the Jays higher on Bass now than they seem to be in 2020? I, I know it was a shortened season and the numbers were messy and stuff, but he does seem to be able to miss more bats now and control the strike zone a little bit better. Um, did they see something change in Miami that they weren't able to foster in, in Toronto? Well, I, I'm trying to remember the exact uh, pitch mix and what it looked like when he was with the Jays in 2020, but I feel like he's more slider heavy now. I think he's about 57%. Yeah, he was year. about 38% with the Jays. 
Right. So he's definitely using that pitch. It's uh, it's getting a, a whiff rate of nearly 41%. So that's been an extremely effective pitch for him. Uh, he's got the he's still got the fastball, the two fastballs, sinker and a four seamer, uh, and a seldom used split. And I know the Blue Jays in general are interested in splits or believe that if you can have a good split, that's going to be a really effective pitch for you. So I wonder if maybe some of their analytics are kind of drawing them towards that. But he's in the midst of a, a really strong season, and it's a relatively affordable cost. It's uh, you know the, what's left of $3 million this year with a club option for $3 million next year. And for uh, what could be uh, potentially a solid 7th, 8th inning type of arm, uh, you, it's tough to get that kind of performance at that kind of price. So the... I think the headline item here for a lot of Jays fans is going to be that Jordan Groshans was the piece going out. And we don't know what the player to be named later coming back is. Maybe it's something from the uh, minor league system uh, of Miami that is dependent on how this all plays out. Uh, the Jays, by the way, just made uh, it official that they have acquired Anthony Bass, Zach Pop, and a player to be named later from the Marlins for Jordan Groshans. They have DFA'd Anthony Bonda. As a result, Bonda picked up a little earlier in the year from Pittsburgh for cash considerations, uh, made a few appearances out of the bullpen. So that's official now. Um, but yeah, I think Shy Jordan Groshans being the name going out is going to be a little surprising to some when they see that he returned two middle relievers. This is a guy who was the number 12 overall pick in 2018. We'd heard him talked up as a top J prospect and developmentally, it just really seemed to stall out for him this year. Um, was there just not a lot of value on Groshans around the league from what you gather? So it's kind of funny because we're uh, thinking about Jordan Groshans in one way, uh, but I I got a text from a a scout from another team uh, asking about the trade and he said, what else is going to the Marlins for those two arms? Right. And, And I told him nothing and he's like, that's a great deal for the Jays. So yeah, that it's funny what the what the perception is there that oh they could have gotten more, but the price on relievers has been very high. Yeah, the prices on and everything has been very high so far at this trade deadline, and you know Jordan Groshans is a guy who's uh, a little bit stuck right now in the organization. There isn't a clear pathway for him to the big league club without uh, a significant injury of some sort, and you know one thing that's interesting to me a little bit is that the prospects, the Blue Jays have moved to the last two deadlines uh, from a position player standpoint, they've been guys who haven't hit for a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And at least, at least so far, the guy that they've kept is Oralvis Martinez. And he's a guy with a massive amount of power. So in terms of, you know, maybe that's a little bit of insight right now. I'm not sure we can call it a trend just yet, but it's certainly something to watch and suggestive that the, the, the raw skill that the, the Blue Jays will look to preserve uh, in their prospect is power. Uh, and, and maybe that's uh, a bit of the explanation there too. Although it is a little odd that in the last couple drafts, they've taken Groshans, they've taken Austin Martin, and then they just took Josh Kasevich, who is basically like a clone of those guys, a, a quick to the majors, high floor, low ceiling kind of middle infielder. Um, Jordan Groshans, by the way, if anyone is 
uh, a little surprise. Well, he's slugging under 300 at AAA this year. Only one homer over 72 games on the season. And this is during a year where... Um, we've had Keith Law on here and talk about how a hard thing about scouting the stat line this year is that the ball seems very juiced in AAA. The power numbers are ridiculous around AAA, and Groshans is here uh, with uh, a batting average that barely below his slugging percentage. So, um, Shai, I wanted to ask you one other kind of tweak beyond, or one other trend here beyond just the type of infielders the Jays like or are willing to move. This is... Three of the last, excluding this year's draft because it just happened, three of the last four first-round picks who have been dealt in Gunnar Hoagland, Austin Martin, Jordan Groshans. Is this uh, just random or is it an organizational philosophy that, you know, turning around high draft picks before they've reached their developmental peak is just, you know, like a, a high-yield way? You kind of, It's basically the equivalent of trading first-round picks for, you know, players who could fit your roster now. It's actually uh, just before the draft, uh, I said to Shane Farrell, like they traded your two first round picks so far, dude. Like, are you mad <laughs> about that? Kind of joking. And he laughed. It's just part of the capital that you can trade with. And yeah. I think if you look at Austin Martin's trajectory right now, and the, there are questions about whether he's going to hit for power. He's going to get on base. He's going to give you a quality at bat. He's going to be tough to strike out. Is he going to hit for power? And then defensively, where does he fit? And those are questions that, what are we at this point? Uh, two and a half years after he got drafted, three years after he got yeah. drafted, uh, still aren't resolved. And so, you know, maybe there's uh, a little bit of opportunism from the Blue Jays there where, where it's like, this is a prospect that that has some questions about him and they have a chance to extract value from him. And so why not do that? And, you know, with Gunnar Hoagland, uh, again, there, there's a lot of upside, but there's also the possibility that, you know, the, he may not recover from Tommy John surgery, maybe as well as everybody hopes, or at least that's in the, it's, it's in the realm of possibility. So maybe that made them a little bit more open to moving him. So, you know, I think in each of these cases, there, there are some circumstances. Yeah, ideally your first round picks should become your best prospects and eventually contribute. But if you look at, you know, the first rounders for the blue Jays over the past 10 years, it's not an area where they've had a ton of success in and sometimes getting value before the bottom falls out is, is a good thing to do. Yeah, it's not a it's not a bad idea, and it's uh you know we we hate to talk about players individually like this, but in broad terms, it's asset management, right? It's you know buy low, sell high is how you're going to incrementally make your team better over time. Uh, one last one for you, Shy. I know you got to get back to reporting this and and other deals out. Um, neither of these players that they acquired make very much money. We'd heard Mark Shapiro speak uh, around the renovations that he was hopeful that the team would, you know, continue to show that financial commitment to winning before the deadline. We've heard that there's still some money left in the budget for this year. Um, do you believe that that still holds true that, you know, I, I'm kind of thinking, well, they traded Groshans. What if they just eat money on a deal for this next edition instead of paying out in prospect capital? That's kind of where my head's at uh, as we get closer to the three hour mark here. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely possible. And I, now, my understanding is that they would have 
resor- the resources they need to make the deals they want. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a limit to that. I'm sure it's not an endless uh, amount of money. But at no point have I heard either from internally or external sources that money was going to be a problem for them in, in the type of business that they were going to be doing. Now, you know, are you going to try to take money to reduce the amount of prospects you surrender? That's certainly one way to get things done. Uh, but so far, by and large, it's not been that type of market. Uh, even players that you don't necessarily think that would extract that type of value uh, have provided or have generated good returns for selling clubs. So it definitely seems like a seller's market. And so money may not necessarily be the difference maker this trade deadline that it can be in some others. Well, we'll see. And the thing about budgets is a lot of businesses and and I would imagine teams use rolling budgets. And if you don't use every penny now, maybe that's something that carries over to the future. Uh, Shai Davidi, thanks so much for making the time out, man. Great job uh, being on top of that Bass and Zach Pop deal. Uh, Great work and looking forward to the rest of it as the day unfolds. Thanks, buddy. We'll see what uh, what the rest of the day brings us. Enjoy Tropicana Field, a.k.a. Uh, Camp Trash, if you know your emo-adjacent slash baseball fan bands on Twitter. Uh, that was Shai Davidi of Sportsnet.ca. Uh, he was first on the Jays landing Zach Pop. We also found out that Anthony Bass is a part of that deal and a player to be named later coming back. The Jays give up Jordan Groshans, who in some places was ranked as high as the number three prospect in their system. Other places cooler on him. Um, In Keith Law's latest, he was not in the top 60. He had fallen below Yosef Zulueta. He was not in Baseball America's top 100. At their latest update, we were told by... Um, Kirk Glazer, that he would probably be in that 100 to 200 range. That follows that as prospect things get a little flatter. Uh, The bloom off of Jordan Groshans pretty significantly uh, over the years. Not a guy I had been super high on, so I I think this is fine, turning him into two relievers. Um, And Zach Pop is a guy I like. I, I think that there's some future... You know, I think he's going to be a bullpen piece for a couple of years. That's not as interesting as a multi-position infielder if they make it. But again, Jordan Groshans has not hit for any semblance of power. And it's really hard, even if you're a borderline 300 hitter, to have offensive value if you don't bring anything from the extra base hit side. Uh, he's also not a 300 hitter, hitting 250 down at AAA. And that's with a league average batting average on balls in play. So, um almost profiling at this point, like a store, like a no-name brand, Kevin Biggio down at AAA. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays will host the Blue Jays tonight. That game's at 7-10, first pitch. Ben Wagner on the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, the Rays are going to have Jose Siri debuting right smack in the middle of that lineup, hitting fifth, playing center field. Little new look for the Rays there. Uh, as Brett Phillips floats around and we wait for him to land. Uh, we're going to be joined by Drew Fairservice in just a moment here. Um, Drew Fairservice of the Spin Ray podcast. We're, we want to talk, obviously this is a Jays show, but I think that the Juan Soto addition for the San Diego Padres and what the Padres have done the last little while, what the Mariners have done at this deadline too, uh, is interesting information because when we talk about things like market size, we talk about things like, potential budgets or or competitive balance. Um, It's not as simple as 
big market equals big budget equals big payroll. That's an easy way to cut it, but that isn't necessarily how things have to play out. The San Diego Padres, as Jeff Passon just noted on Twitter, are eating $44 million on Eric Hosmer's deal as they unload him the Red Sox. The Padres flex in prospect might, flex in financial might. A team that was not high in the uh, interest meter around baseball not all that long ago. Drew Fairservice, the Spin Right Podcast, joins us now. Drew, uh, three hours and 19 minutes out. Are your Shohei dreams finally dead? Yeah, they're dead. I can't believe it. But uh, Artie Moreno likes the shiny things. He was never going to let it happen, but... The dream will live on in the offseason. Yeah, he likes shiny things except for trophies and, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, just wants the shiny players. Uh, if it makes you feel a little better, our girl Carly Rae Jepsen announced a new album today for October. Yes, guy. Loneliness. <laughs> We're all learning about loneliness with uh, with Carly Rae. Yeah. Uh, lonely name, Jordan Groshans, uh, on his way to Miami by himself. Uh, your quick thoughts on turning a recent first-round pick, but a prospect who had lost some of that shine, fallen out of the top 100 lists for the most part, uh, turning him into a controllable young reliever and a possible rental, maybe team option guy in Anthony Bass. I mean, you got get what you can as the information gets out there, I think is, is maybe the, how I would look at it. Uh, you know, Jordan Groshen's stock was at its highest when he was on the field the least. Yeah. When right? he was good he, he also. Was, well, he was good and he was, it was, there was a bit of mystery and then, you know, time, what, what's what is it? They say that oxygen is the great uh, disinfectant. I don't know. <laughs> the more time you guys get exposed. And then, so, so he was, you know, taking steps and going up to higher and higher levels, but, the production wasn't there. And at some point it stops being about tools and then it starts being about the ability to do the things that are going to carry you to the big leagues. And uh, from one of the big things about going to the big leagues is hitting the ball over the fence. And Jordan Groshen was not really looking like he, that's something that was going to be within his skill set. So at some point they needed to either, you know, pull the trigger and, and he was kind of, like you said, falling out of the top 100, wasn't really a, uh, a guy who was going to have a lot of cachet and, uh, and now here they are. A name that I had wanted to ask you about as a last-minute Jays edition, maybe even off the DFA pile if things worked out this way, uh, we can't, we can no longer thirst for Joey Gallo. Uh, he is headed to the Dodgers for the number 15 prospect in the Dodgers system, um, Clayton Beater. But, Drew, we had heard the Dodgers were in on Ian Happ, thought to be a competitor for the Blue Jays. Uh, what's your interest level in something that would return Ian Happ to kind of not upgrade the Zimmer spot. I think it drops Tapia down a little bit. It drops Biggio a little, down a little bit. Um, but Ian Happ as a, a kind of left-handed utility piece. I don't know. I have, to, I have trouble calling him a possible center field option because he's not good there, but also neither is Rymel Tapia. So uh, maybe it's still an upgrade. I feel like I like the idea of Ian Happ quite a bit. Uh, he can hit and he has hit and he is hitting. I think it's almost like maybe I, I worry that what it will take to get him versus how you're going to deploy him. Like, what does that mean? Kind right. To your point. Number one, does that mean that he's playing in center field more often? Is he there as George Springer insurance? Or are we now talking about George Springer getting the, uh, the bulk of uh, ABs as the DH? Or is it now you have, if, if you have a viable 
like a more viable than than Raul Tapia, who's been you know good of late. Who is is an interesting kind of counterpoint to a lot of the the, the approaches that the Blue Jays have. So suddenly you you have a lot of players, but vying for very few plate appearances. Because if you're talking about now, you're gonna if you're gonna work Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, Otis Correal Jr., and then of course Alejandro Kirk throughout the DH spot, like you're cutting into somebody's playing time. And with, you know, again, looking at the things that Tapia offers, I, I, I like, I like, I like Ian Happ full stop. A is a probably cost what little kind of available prospect capital the Blue Jays have. And also I just don't know that it's the upgrade that, that it needs to be because I don't think he's upgrading on any of the starters. He's kind of, it's a more of a, I mean, for lack of a better term, like a lateral move. You're adding another version of what you've got two and sometimes three of as it is. Does that make any sense? It does. And you sound like the kid uh, McLovin, but in role models where they ask if he likes Coca-Cola and he's like, I, uh, I like the idea of it better. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's good. And I understand why people like it, but the idea of it rubs me wrong. And Hey, maybe this is why if you're the Cubs, uh, you can also be convinced to throw David Robertson into a deal like that. Um, I wanted to ask you about the starting pitching side too. The Jays have made two relief additions. We know that if they were to add a back end starter, it's probably not a headline grabbing move, but maybe it allows you to rest guys up a little bit more, give them an extra day off, maybe move a stripling back to the bullpen at some point. Uh, I know you're like secretly half angels fan. Has Noah Syndergaard shown you enough to be interested in him or, or would you rather shop in kind of that, the other names in the Syndergaard tier? I like, so Syndergaard is exactly what you described with the, uh, with the, uh, Vince Plass uh, yeah. in role models where like the idea of Noah Syndergaard is awesome, but the reality <laughs> of Noah Syndergaard is whatever. He doesn't throw nearly as hard as he used to. So unless you look, I mean, his strikeouts are way down. He, you know, his walks are about the same. I mean, he's just, he's just not the guy that he used to be, which is, which is fine. You know, you don't want to uh, kill him for that. But I mean, he's this is a guy that's throwing like 94 now, not 98, not a hundred. So unless you think, okay, well, we can use Syndergaard every sixth day, which I saw somebody suggesting online as well. You can run Syndergaard up there every sixth day, kind of get some extra rest for the existing starters. Syndergaard was on a six-man six rotation there in Otani land. Uh, and then come the playoffs or come the stretch run, maybe then you can look at Syndergaard and even Kikuchi doing sort of the same thing of moving into to the bullpen and becoming the postseason bullpen upgrades that the Blue Jays, you know, that fans are, are, are zeroing in on right now, I think, because – you need to upgrade the bullpen. So if you're if you're the Blue Jays and you're thinking if we improve our starters and we can we can feel strongly that we're going to get there, if we have hard throwing guys like Akuchi and then hopefully ho- hoping or assuming that Syndergaard can like up his output and, and throw harder in a, in a in a shorter stint role, then maybe I could get talked into it. But again, is there any guarantees that he's going to be able to dial it up when he comes back to it? And again, nope. he's he's been okay. He's been he's been fine you can't really complain it's better than than you say kikuchi go give him that but but again it's the blue jays are in a tough spot because the up like to make an upgrade upgrade they're going to have to give up a lot but i just don't know that there are that many like significant upgrades out there that aren't gonna be cost them like the big ticket you know which is the moreno or 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 kirk or whatever that they choose to move especially now that they've moved groshans for 
you know, something that's uh, in line with what he's been of late. So I just feel like the Blue Jays are in a bit of a tough spot. So so if a guy like Syndergaard is, is the way that they go, maybe with that eye to how can we utilize him in October, should it, and assuming it does come to that. Yeah, and that's where, you know, a name like Drew Smiley, if you're already talking to the Cubs about Ian Happ, like because he can pitch from the left side and has a bit of experience out of the pen, Maybe that's that's on your radar. But this is the tier of guys you're in um, with what we think the Jays are going to be willing to put on the table. Alex Cobb, Chad Kula, Martin Perez, Noah Syndergaard, uh, my guy JT Brubaker, Drew Smiley. Um, even like like the Diamondbacks should probably trade Mad Bum, but I don't think they're going to. Um, and Stroman would be a fit, but I don't think Stroman's coming back here. That's kind of the class of guys you're looking at. Um, so the Jays haven't pushed in Gabriel Moreno or Ricky Tiedemann, and we don't have any indication that there was a deal that they'd be willing to do that for. Drew, we look around baseball, and we see the Padres pushing all these chips in for Juan Soto and eating 40-plus million to unload Eric Hosmer, um, giving up Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, and a bunch of other prospects, taking on Josh Bell as well. It's not that long ago that the Padres operated like a small market team, and now... They're not going to spend with the Dodgers, but they're going to spend up to the penny that they're comfortable with to compete with the Dodgers. What is what the Padres have become over the last couple of years? And to a lesser extent, even the Mariners going in for Luis Castillo. What does that say to you about where baseball is and how we kind of talk about small market teams around the league? I think that it says something that's really encouraging. And somebody, I can't remember who it was, somebody I know decently well uh, on, on Twitter in, in a reply to one of my posts, which is like, it's not like trading draft picks is easy. Anyone can trade draft picks because everybody gets them, right? But I think that when you are a team like the Ponders in particular, and maybe to a lesser extent the Mariners, when, and, and where I think where the Blue Jays want to get, which is that you cannot only draft players, but then develop them and increase their, you, you add value to them. A draft pick is a draft pick. And in hockey and, 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 and hockey specifically, you trade draft picks, picks get swapped around all the time. That pick has a set value associated with it. But if you can take it, uh, uh, like a, for lack of a better term, an asset, these are people, these are athletes, these are guys who, who, are, who perfect their craft and work so hard to be that. But if you're a team that can help those guys grow from more than that, X value that you associate with a first round pick, a second round pick, a third round pick in a, in a hockey situation, you can, you now, the raise of the model, you have almost unlimited money to spend when you can take something that you acquire at a low cost and then trade it at a high value without injecting just money into the situation. If you can spend your money well, and you know, the best, that's what the best organizations do. So you don't have to spend your money crazily and just throw it around like the angels do not crazily but like they spend plenty of money the angels are not cheap they're just bad and the pirates are cheap and bad so like there are examples of how, when this doesn't work but the padres again the dodgers the rays where the blue jays want to get take a take a take a, a player work with him improve him make him a good enough player to play every day for your team or make him good enough that other teams want him in them in their mix or as well as they believe in your ability to take a player and improve them. So they see those changes. They see somebody who's now successful in double A and they'll be like, the Jays have a good track record of making these guys into good hitters or helping guys become the best hitter they can be. That is the great leveler. So while you might not be the ones who's, who are competing 
uh, for free agents, or maybe you're not in the, if you're the Rays in particular, you're not in the position to sign your own guys long-term, or you're always looking to churn those guys as they get into those more expensive years. Uh, the ability to, to take something that didn't necessarily cost you in dollars a lot and have its value increase allows you to play in these, in these sandboxes, allows you to be at play for the best players in the game because of the existing economics and the, and the way that this, the, the game works on a larger scale. So that the Nationals insanely trade the generational talent when he's, what, 23 years old because they are going to get so much back for him. And then, A, they think that those pieces that they get, the Mackenzie Gores and C.J. Abrams, are going to be the core of the next great national team, sure. But really, they're just cashing out, right? Because even, even Juan Soto, right? What did Juan Soto cost the Nationals when they signed him as a, as a teen in the – in the human trafficking field that is that is free agent signings of teenage guys from the Dominican and, and Colombia and, and Venezuela. But he was he went from being uh, you know, a middling prospect to in the big leagues, like in a year. So when you can do that, you can compete dollar for dollar or, or, or player for player with the Yankees and the Red Sox. And and I think that, you know, it's 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 healthy, but also it's it's there's a lot of pressure to innovate. There's a lot of pressure to be able to do that regularly. Uh, and be able to to have to replenish your 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 farm system to do to do kind of both. And right now, I think the Blue Jays are in that little bit of an in between spot where they've developed a lot of players. Their big league club is full of homegrown young players, guys they've either drafted or developed, or then they've traded guys to get Jose Barrios to get Matt Chapman from that system. So right now, their cupboard is maybe a little bit bare. You know, they have some some really uh, the Morenos and the Kirks of the world that they could swap for a big big piece. But the middle ground is where they're kind of lacking right now. But the Padres built so much talent up and developed so much talent, it gives them the opportunity to do that. And I think that it's a it's good because the last thing the last thing for me I, I want this I know this is a long answer. That's the last okay. thing you want to see is, is people talk about parity when what they really mean is welfare. You don't want to just which I think is what happens in a lot of sports where you continually give the top pick to the worst teams without them demonstrating the ability to do anything with it. And, you know, it, 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 the, the Pirates are, I mean, it's... You I was going to say, you can just say the Pirates. We, uh, we know who... The Pirates, I could say the, the, the Oilers, for, for lack of a better term. They just keep getting first-round pick, and, uh, you know, are they able to do anything with it? Would, would a better organization have been in a better position than the Oilers would have, or the Pirates, given where they've been able to draft? Absolutely. Or the Sacramento really Kings, who are maybe the better. best example of it. Yeah, so I think this it, it speaks highly of... What wins in baseball, and that's the ability to develop players, the ability to identify talent, the ability, the ability to let your players get better and motivate them to do so. Because you, you, the players get better, right? You can tell them what to do, but if they're not ready to work, if they're not ready to listen, if you aren't get, finding the right guys and putting them in those situations, it doesn't work. So you need to have all of those different facets working together. And when you can do it, it doesn't matter if you're the Yankees or the Red Sox. You can be right there. At the, at the same table as them and winning those competitions, winning against the Dodgers in terms of having what it takes to acquire one soda. The Padres, number 17 in terms of market size in the United States, number five in terms of payroll, number one in terms of aggression uh, today. Uh, Drew Fair Service, number one in terms of guests. Thanks so much for taking the time, pal. My friend, it's my pleasure. Drew Fair Service of the Spin Rate Podcast. Uh, the Padres, super, super aggressive. The Jays, not so much yet. Although it is, if you look at Chapman, you look at Brios, uh, and now a couple of relievers, that's seven prospects, at least four or five of them of note, 
uh, dealt within the last year or so to fortify this team. I don't think that you guys would be satisfied if Zach Pop and Anthony Bass is it for today. The text line so far says just as much. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to take some of your texts, 590-590, or you can tweet at me, at Blake Murphy ODC. Uh, you've got the mic next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays, Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. We are three hours from the ALB trade deadline. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay is making one move so far, turning prospect Jordan Groshans into Anthony Bass and Zach Pop to help in the bullpen. They've also lost Andrew Vasquez on waivers to the Phillies and designated Anthony Bonda for assignment. Uh, Joining us from... Miami to help us uh, get the Miami side of this. Christina DeNicola of MLB.com covering the Marlins. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, sad day around Miami to see Zach and Anthony on the way out. Well, you know, the writing was somewhat on the wall last night when the Marlins lost. They fell to a season low, nine games below 500. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they came into the season thinking they'd be contenders. But a lot of injuries and underperformance sort of forced their hand uh, this trade deadline. I got to watch the clip quickly that you posted uh, on Twitter um, during the during my, my last break, and Zach Pop talking about getting to play for the Blue Jays. He's from Brampton. Um, what was his reaction to this trade? So he honestly said he was surprised he was going to be traded because he's not arbitration eligible for another year. He um, was a Rule 5 uh, pick by the Marlins from the Orioles uh, during the 2020 offseason. So, you know, you heard a lot of names like Bass, Stephen Oker, even Dylan Floro. But, you know, he thought, you know, super in a, inexperienced compared to the other guys. He had no idea, like, he would be in a trade until he heard about it. Hmm. Well, that's a, it's a tough one, but it does sound like he's at least a little excited to, to come home and play for uh, the team he rooted for as a, as a kid. Yeah, definitely. And I think he was also drafted by the Blue Jays uh, as a prep star before deciding to go to the University of Kentucky. He said uh, he's excited, you know, to go home, see family and friends who have been cheering on the Blue Jays this season as they try to, you know, make a push for the playoffs and go deep into the postseason. Yeah, 23rd round pick back in 2014. Uh, Somehow he's just only he's only 25. So 2014 sounds like so, so long ago in my head, uh, but I guess not so much Um, on the mound. Zach Pop has that wicked sinker, a lot, a lot, a lot of ground balls. Um, what have you liked about what he's brought to the Marlins bullpen, and what can the what can Jays fans look for uh, from him in the kind of middle innings? Well, exactly what you said. He's a ground ball machine with that sinker. And, you know, when the Marlins acquired him in that Real 5 draft, he had had Tommy John surgery, and then pair that with the 2020 minor league season not happening because of COVID, he went almost two years without throwing on a mound. So when he finally did make his big league debut last year with the Marlins, you know, he hadn't pitched in a while. He was rusty. And so his velo is up this year. It's one of those things when he got called up and he was hitting like maybe 97, even like the fellow relievers were teasing him. Like, where is this coming from? (laughs) And he said, it's been him, you know, getting comfortable again, being on the mound and obviously being built up. Uh, but yes, the, he's definitely more of a ground ball machine rather than a strikeout guy. 97 with sync is uh, deadly. That's a heavy, heavy pitch. Um, 
in terms of swing and miss, he does throw a slider, um, not a ton, but it does look to me like a pitch that could get some swing and miss stuff. Um, is this that kind of pitch mix where he's so heavy on the sinker? Is that a roll thing there? Do you think he could throw the slider a little bit more and get away with it? Well, I think it, with the Marlins bullpen in general this year, primarily, uh, it, it's been very slider heavy. Okay. But speaking of Anthony Bass, his usage has gone up and he became one of the elite relievers around the majors. So maybe the Blue Jays see something and want to change the philosophy a bit. It'll be interesting to see in terms of pop. Obviously, you don't mess with anything that Bass is doing because <laughs> he's been so great. But, yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously sinker is his pitch. But, you know, the more confidence you get in those secondary pitches like the slider, I wouldn't be surprised if he throws it more. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Bass. Bass is a guy who Jays fans probably remember from 2020, but they've never seen him pitch here. Uh, 2020, of course, the the year that the Jays weren't in Toronto. Um, a lot of growth for him this year, it looks like. I know you mentioned the increased slider usage, um, helping with the strikeouts. What's gone into him also limiting the walk so much? A career low walk rate for him as well. Right. Well, him, it's funny, I actually mentioned that after we spoke to him probably like five minutes ago, is you'll finally get to pitch for Toronto in Toronto, and he laughed. Uh, but, yeah, so the slider usage, the other big thing for him is getting lefties out. Uh, they were hit, they had over 1,000 OPS against him last year, and that was a you know big no-no. So he's able to get lefties and righties out this year. He also struggled a bit against the Mets last year. He kind of exercised those demons this year. <laughs> Um, but, you know, it was tough, like as you mentioned, you know, 2020 was with the Blue Jays, and then he signs as the marquee free agent for the Marlins for the 2021 season, made the closer, blows, blows two saves that first week, and then never goes back into that role. And he's very settled down in that setup man uh, role and been great in it. Uh, and it's just, yeah, the slider usage has been crucial. Uh, in terms of the return here, uh, I know this is the the player I should know on, more on my side than, than your side, maybe with Jordan Groshans. But um, what are the Marlins looking for out of Groshans? And you know, the the talking point around here has been he's close to the majors, but he doesn't really hit for much power. So maybe the upside is limited there. Um, the Marlins just kind of happy to get a guy with years of control who's pretty close to the majors. A uh, combination of all of that. Yeah. So Lone Depot Park isn't going to ever be friendly to hitters. Uh, power, unless you're John Carlos Stanton <laughs> when he was here, like it's it's tough. Any player will say that. So interesting note from this draft, you know, that happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the first round pick the Marlins got, Jacob Berry, is known for being, you know, his hitting ability and plate discipline. And from what I've read from our MLB pipeline experts, Yep. is that uh, Jordan is very similar to that. You know, maybe average power he hasn't lived up to it. So I'm sensing a trend in that aspect for the Marlins. And uh, whether he plays shortstop or third in the majors, uh, you know, Miguel Rojas is currently the Marlins shortstop, but he's definitely not in the tail end of his career, but he will be like a role player possibly even next year. So it'll be interesting to see whether Jordan gets to be called up soon and get, you know, these at-bats and reps in before the season ends to kind of get a feel for what they have for him in 2023. Well, that sounds like it's a nice little win-win there between teams that have made deals together in the past. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time out, Christina. Uh, thank you so much. I know it's a busy one there, so uh, I'll let you go. Really thank you for uh, for your time and for that insight on Pop and Bass. 
Yeah, no problem. And uh, treat those former Marlins well. They're all good dudes, including, you know, Phelpsy and Simber and all of them. <laughs> yeah, of course. And you know the you know the Canadian fans are going to be all over Zach Pop. He'll be, as long as he doesn't blow a save in, like, his very first appearance, uh, he'll be a fan favorite in no time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Christina DeNicola of MLB.com. You can check her work out for the Marlins side of this. Learn a little bit more about Zach Pop and Anthony Bass, if you need the refresher, uh, those are the pieces coming back, as well as a player to be named later for Jordan Groshans. Lots of texts in the text line. You guys fired up. What is it, the trade deadline or something like that? Uh, apologies if I don't get to yours. There are a lot in there to uh, sort through. And, of course, I'm going to uh, start with a question from the region. So this comes from Tony and Kitchener. Uh, what about these two relief pitchers makes them what different, much different from what is already there? Uh, will they be able to stand up to Houston, the Yankees, the Rays, Seattle? Uh, that's a, a, that's kind of the big question here, Tony, if this is it for the moves, because there's still not a lot of swing and miss stuff in the, the back end of the bullpen. We talked to Joe Siddle earlier in the show and he was basically like anything, any question I threw at him, he was like, Blake, I want swing and miss stuff at the back end of the bullpen. I will say Anthony Bass with the increased slider usage, he does immediately slot in as third in the Jays bullpen in terms of whiff rate. So how often are you getting swing and miss stuff? So he's not elite, but he's better than what's been there. He's a better bet to get a strikeout, get you out of a jam, get some swing and miss stuff than a Simber or someone like that, and it slides guys down a peg into lower leverage spots. Zach Pop's an interesting one. I have trouble projecting this this year because if you're going to work with a pitcher on some stuff, it's going to take some time, but he can hit 98 with a heavy, heavy sinker, and that slider has nice movement. It has nice shape. I really think looking into the numbers and some of the stack cast stuff and what the Jays have tried to do with other pitchers in the past, you could get more slider out of them, get a little bit more swing and miss stuff. Um, I had someone else in the text line ask uh, why a high ground ball rate guy is something that they might be interested in. Um, I think probably it's uh, they just wanted anyone who can, who can help out. Um, but a reason to, oh, here it is. Matt and Etobico, uh confused why we want ground ball pitchers when you insist on playing Boba Shed at short. Overall, the Jays infield defense grades out pretty good. They shift a lot. Espinal's a plus defender at second. Matt Chapman is a gold glove defender at third base. Um, Bo, at least analytically, is fine at shortstop. The real answer to why you want a ground ball pitcher is that Roger Center, and if you want to think ahead, Yankee Stadium, Big time hitters parks. If you can get the ball in the air, Fenway, not so bad either. So some of these games you're going to play down the stretch and maybe in the playoffs better to be able to keep the ball on the ground. Um, that's, you know, ground ball rate is a floor skill, not a ceiling skill. It, it makes sure you're not going to get too, too lit up on an average day. Um, you know, you're going to be subject to some batted ball variants and things like that. Uh, but that's the answer as to why Ryan and Markham wants us to play. Is this it by the strokes? Um, we got almost three hours left, Ryan. So good reference, but I'm not ready to play that one yet. By the way, speaking of what we're going to be playing as 6 PM rounds out, I'm on with you until five o'clock. 
At 4 o'clock, we're going to be simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. If you'd like to look at me as I do this, uh, we'll have John Morosi and Ben Nicholson-Smith on in that hour. Uh, we then kick it over to Fan Drive Time at 5 o'clock. There'll be Tim and Friends on the TV side, Fan Drive Time here on the radio side. Ben Ennis will be joined by Blake Murphy, Shai Davidi, Pat Tabler, J.D. Bunkus, and Jeff Blair. We're also expecting a Ross Atkins post-deadline press conference at some point in the 6 p.m. hour, assuming there are no, you know, holdups with paperwork or the, you know, this is more of an NBA thing where you hear about a trade at three o'clock at the deadline. And then the next morning, it's still not officially done because paperwork and physicals and visas. And there are so many trades in the, uh, in the queue. The Marcus Gasol one was the big one. Is he going to play? Is he going to show up? Are we going to be able to talk to him? It's a day after the trade deadline. What's going on? If none of that is uh, a hindrance, we'll expect to hear from Ross Atkins in the six o'clock hour as well. Again, fan drive time has uh, me, Shai Davidi, Pat Tabler, JD Bunkus, Jeff Blair. We've got John Morosi and Ben Nicholson Smith coming up a little later when we switch to the TV side. Arden Zwelling will join us in uh, about 15, 20 minutes here, uh, but we're going to keep going through some of your texts here. Uh, this person didn't sign it, so I assume it's from Zach Pop. Uh, that person said Zach Pop is also from Brampton. Yes, he's a local kid. Probably a huge fan of Jays Talk Plus. West from Port Loring asks if the Jays need another lefty bat. I think it's a lower priority than further solidifying the pitching, but we've heard Ian Happ's name all year for a reason. Um, you know, Ben Nicholson-Smith and I were on this show in in late June, and we kind of early, early, early on took a look at what an Ian Happ plus David Robertson package looked like. And it fit almost exactly within, you know, the rough budget constraints we thought the Jays might be working in certainly fills a back end bullpen need and a lefty bat with some positional versatility. I think the priority is still arms, by the way, John Heyman uh, mentioning that the Jays are still talking to the angels about Noah Syndergaard and Rizal Iglesias um, Philadelphia has been linked to the, to Noah Syndergaard as well. I threw out the Rysel Iglesias name last night, um, as a, Hey, if you're talking to them about Syndergaard, why not? Because it might just be a money eating thing as Art Moreno looks to shed future salary ahead of paying Shohei Otani since they didn't trade him. Uh, I don't know. So we just talked to Christina DeNicola to get the Miami side on the ground, we're going to get another Sportsnet voice who's down in Tampa. Uh, ben Wagner joins us now. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you? Whew, I'm good. It sounds like uh, that's some good tunes going on there. The, the energy's getting up in the trot. <laughs> they may be a small crowd, but let me tell you, those that are here are, are very passionate about being here. So <laughs> they're, they're small, but they are mighty, I as we love to say. I got that experience when I went there once. Um, it's one of the few ballparks that I've tailgated at. And I know that sounds super weird because there were probably 4,000 people at the game that I was at. But we showed up nice and early. We parked and there were people like, hey, you want a beer? Want a hot dog? Uh, so you're right. The the fans are, uh, are eager there. They're going <laughs> to see Jose Siri debut tonight for Tampa Bay. Uh, I would imagine we're not going to see the new Jays pieces, even though they're just coming over from Miami down the highway there. 
No, I, <laughs> well, it would be so convenient to jump in a car and be here four hours after just learning your, your <laughs> entire world is getting flipped. Uh, that is not going to be the case. And remember, the Blue Jays have a noon start time tomorrow against the Tampa Bay Rays or 12.30, whatever it is. Uh, so that would be a lot to ask of a couple of individuals and the support network around them. I would guess that the first time we get a look at Zach Pop and Anthony Bass would be in Minneapolis against that series against the Twins, which is fine, by the way. That's when, over the course of those four days, that's when the Blue Jays are going to need him. But they've obviously already cleared the roster space once making the deal. I don't think there's a sense of urgency unless there are other moves coming down the pipeline. I know that there are some reinforcements that are here kind of in the bowels uh, just in case there are other moves made and they have to fill those roster spots. But as it pertains to the deal with the Marlins, I would be very, very shocked if Anthony Bass or Zach Pop made an appearance prior to Minneapolis. Uh, the old taxi squad kicking around post-COVID just in case. Uh, uh, that's Yep, yep. Good to hear they won't be shorthanded. Um, being around the team at this point, is it kind of, you know, not eggshells, because I think the main guys know they're not going anywhere, but is there a, a level of anxiousness about what else is going to happen before 6 o'clock? I started to get this feeling during the homestand, honestly, against the Cardinals, you know, where mm-hmm. you started to s- sense that there could be big deals being done. And the good news from a Blue Jay perspective, within the walls of that clubhouse, people are excited because they know if there are moves going to be made, that the Blue Jays are going to get better. And it's only going to increase the overall objective here, that is to get into the playoffs, get deep into the playoffs, and make a run at the World Series. So from a mindset and energy standpoint around the Blue Jays, in what could happen over some very chaotic hours, they know collectively that everything that happens is going to be done with the best intentions, not a fire sale, not like uh, a change in direction as the franchise gets into this thing. That's why I think August and September are still yet to be the most exciting months that we see out of the Blue Jays. And adding a couple of arms that are, are, are clear needs, clear needs. The Blue Jays had to go out. They had to be very aggressive in the pitching department. Uh, Ross Atkins was on our broadcast weeks ago and he referenced the bullpen as still being incomplete. So the front office was very adamant about that. The Blue Jays know that they don't have a well-rounded team and they went out and they made a couple of maneuvers to address those needs. And clearly, Anthony Bass coming back and Zach Pop with what he does with that uh, sinker-slider combination. He's got the ability to induce a ton of ground balls. Yeah, a ton of ground balls. And when you have Matt Chapman and Santiago Espinal behind you, not a, not a bad idea to do that, especially in some of the hitters' parks the Jays will play at. Well, all their home games and then, uh, you know, some of those AL East opponents you face down the stretch. Um, ben, would you be surprised if Bass and Pop is it for the day? I would be. Yeah. I would be surprised. Yeah, I think there's more. I think there's more in the hopper. I think that they are uh, talking with people within the organization. I get a feel that they're very close to getting one, maybe two more things done. And there's also there's also another layer of the trade deadline. You can make an impact at the major league level, but you can also then get some opportunity to help your insurance policies. And that is get the return package somewhere to stack up AAA guys with 
options, guys that we're going to take out, uh, whether it's a six-year free agent, whether it is acquisition of some prospect capital, guys that have maybe a sense of being major league ready and you know you're going to need a sixth to seventh starter down the road. Uh, that's what makes Yusei Kikuchi so fascinating and uh, you know, po- a positive step in the right direction where that could be an addition without subtracting anything from the organization. Long-winded way of saying that they're in a much better position with Yusei Kikuchi, but that, of course, has been hit and miss right over the first couple of months of the season. So the, the need and the desire is certainly there, talking with people in the organization today, the desire is certainly there not only to make an impact at the major league level with this roster, and that's going to get a lot of the flash, but they also need some guys stocked up in reserve. That's why I think there is more moves. Yeah, for sure. And that's, uh, you know, they were, it's not that long ago they were an injury away from having to start Thomas Hatch again, or, you know, if Gosman couldn't make that one start before the break. So we're not too far removed from that. Um, Ben, from a radio and storytelling standpoint, I know you mentioned the sinker stuff, the ground ball stuff with Zach Pop. Getting another local kid in the mix has got to be catnip for you, right? This is this is put it on a tee, Ben, and hit it out of the ballpark. <laughs> hit your first home run in your career, can you please? Um, this this is pretty cool, and I saw the clip from the Miami clubhouse with Zach Pop, and the bittersweet emotion about changing organizations. Remember, Zach Pop was a guy linked to the Manny Machado deal, mm. so there for a long time has been keen interest about what Zach Pop could bring to an organization and then potentially to the big leagues. Rule 5 draft coming off Tommy Tommy John surgery. Miami brought him to the big leagues after all of that. Uh, So thankfully with Zach Pop, you know, he's got a story to tell through all of this too. And his journey is incredible to begin with, let alone a journey that could have started with the Blue Jays and now has come completely full circle. The Blue Jays were the first team to draft him. Originally, he opted to go to Kentucky, went the collegiate route. Now the tail really starts to turn, and now he's back here, and you've got two Canadians on the back end of the bullpen that are going to lead this team to higher things and be part of this journey. So uh, I'm really interested. I'm really interested in the minutia and finding out more about Zach Pop and you know how deep his fandom runs. And he mentioned this to the Miami reporters across across the state that he said, my family has been tracking the Blue Jays all season long while keeping tabs on me. <laughs> so I'm really excited now that they're fully invested into the into the rest of the season through August and September in the playoffs. So this should be a really, really fun experience for Zach Pop and Jordan Romano, too. I, I mean, the, the marketing posters are probably still wet with ink when they get an opportunity to promote this. Yeah, absolutely. The, the two Canadians in the bullpen. Uh, one last one for you. I, I know I said the last one was, but I got one more for you. I'm not sure if you've had a chance yet uh, to speak to Pete Walker, but I I, I look into Zach Pop's profile and I I bring up a couple clips. I look at some of the stat cast numbers. Kind of looks to me like like I I know you're not going to want to get away too far from the ground balls with how good and how heavy that sinker is, but the slider's pretty good, too. Do you think that's something Pete Walker and the crew might nudge him to use a little bit more, maybe induce a little bit more swing and miss? Well, the answer, shortly, is yes. I have not had a chance to speak 
actually with anybody in the organization on pitch usage yet with Zach Pop, but knowing how heavily the Blue Jays encourage the slider and the slider usage, I think the Blue Jays identify this as a pitch with Zach Pop that can only increase the usage and get better. Now, they've tinkered with a couple of guys this season, and they've added some slider, tweaking uh, grip to get guys with depth, guys with sweep. So there's no doubt that the slider is going to be part of the equation with that heavy sinking fastball. And it's heavy. It's a bowling ball. 98, 99 miles an hour. He'll blow up bats. He'll get you the ground ball. And this is a this is a really important piece already jumping into the Blue Jays where they have the need in the bullpen, but they have a need in the sixth and sometimes in the fifth inning to get out of a rather mid-level, mid-game leverage situation by inducing contact to get a ground ball. And this is a guy that can do that. Now, if he adds a better slide, and I looked at some of the videos and I was looking at, you know, kind of the horizontal break on the slider too. And I noticed one thing, while it's there, it also seems to be a little fat. And if mm. they can tweak it to improve the slider overall, I think that the Blue Jays certainly would be more encouraged uh, with what Zach Pop can offer. Now, I don't know if it, this holds for sliders like it does for people, but I heard if you want to get rid of the fat, that happens in the kitchen, not in the gym. So uh, I don't know if that's <laughs> useful to Pete Walker and Zach Pop at all. But yeah, well, all in on sports science. Yeah, All in on sports exactly. science. Exactly. And speaking of sliders, Anthony Bass has a better slider this year. Oh, yeah. Anthony Bass Anthony Bass last year signed that two-year deal with the Marlins, and he wanted to go in and be a closer. Marlins weren't happy with the slider, gave him an opportunity, closeout games. That dissolved very, very quickly. And Don Mattingly never went back to Anthony Bass in very many save situations. And there's some level of intrigue there for me on how John Schneider and Pete Walker project Anthony Bass at the end of this bullpen. Do they keep him a seventh and an eighth inning guy? Because he could be that. And the Blue Jays now are a little bit more keen, I think, on having guys give you an up-down. And if you look at the, the numbers with Anthony Bass, he's been able to provide that for the Marlins already. So that's something that once he gets rolling and gets settled in this Blue Jay bullpen, I'm very fascinated to see what kind of role and how often he's used and whether it's clean innings, whether it's an up-down when he comes in. But the whole emphasis on this, again, we focus on the slider for the Zach Pop conversation, but Anthony Bass not using that splitter nearly as much as he was during the 2020 season. He's developed the better slider, and he's got it back. So this definitely factors into his effectiveness and why he's somebody the Blue Jays wanted at the end. Yeah, and Anthony Bass slots in as number three on the Jays' bullpen in terms of swing and miss rate uh, so far this year. So not not a established closer name, but another guy who can miss some bats. Uh, ben Wagner, maybe it's not today or tomorrow, given the logistical hurdles, but looking forward to hearing you call Bass and Pop. Uh, we'll say Thursday against the Twins. Uh, <laughs> keep up all the great work, man. Appreciate it, Blake. All the best. Ben Wagner of Sportsnet. He'll have the call for you tonight. First pitch, 7-10 on the Sportsnet radio network as the Jays take on the Rays. It's Kevin Gosman against Drew Rasmussen. Uh, yeah, there's a game tonight. I know normally on this show we would go pretty uh, heavy on, you know, who's pitching, what are the matchups. I don't know that any of you have a big appetite for that today on trade deadline day. Uh, sadly, I'm not coming back in the six to seven slot to talk about Drew Rasmussen. We'll see if there are a couple gaps uh, to work that in. Right now, we're going to take a break. On the other side, we'll continue to take your texts. Uh, we'll also talk to Arden Zwelling of At The Letters and Sportsnet.ca. Arden's next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. 
Great daily gambling advice from J.D., Blake, and Ailish in the Fan Morning Show's Wake and Rake. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Stop me if you've heard this one before. George Springer not in the starting lineup tonight. We don't have the full lineup yet, but Hazel May tweeted out that uh, John Schneider is being cautious with Springer's health around that elbow. Oh, boy. Uh, This thing is uh, not going away, eh? Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hits leadoff in Springer's place. We're going to be joined by Arden Zwelling in a few minutes here. I want to get to a couple more uh, of your texts. Tyler from London asks about Patrick Corbin as a target. It's basically free if you take on the contract. Uh, yeah, they he's basically free. But there are a couple other guys that if you're just eating their contract, I could see being available and uh, are a little better than Patrick Corbin. It's not a bad at the buzzer if it's just eating money, not giving up prospect capital for him. In fact, you probably ask them to eat a little bit of the money on his way here. Uh, someone who didn't sign asks if... Uh, the lack of moves will be blamed on COVID and non-vaccinations. I don't think so. I think you look at the number of teams who have come here and had full or very close to full rosters. I don't, I don't think this is uh, keeping you out of the market for too many guys like Merrill Kelly, maybe sure. Um, the, the Andrew Benintendi thing, but even he's reportedly getting vaccinated um, for the stretch run here. It's not a, I'm having trouble identifying the target that the Jays would have otherwise been close on. So, no, I don't think it's going to be an excuse. It's a factor, but not an excuse. Uh, Phil, who also texted into the morning show this morning, wants to use Kirk to trade to beef up the farm system. I I don't get that one at all. Kirk's young. He's got tons of years of control. He's an all-star. He hits in the middle of your order. Why in this window, when he's the youngest player on the team, would you use him to restock prospect capital? No way. Uh, sorry, Phil. Rob from Stouffville says, I'm starting to think the Jays are now the Leafs with all the prospects being shipped out, uh, relying on young talent and not getting much back. Rob, I don't really understand that one. Um, the Leafs issue has been that they don't have prospects. Uh, they just trade away all their picks. They don't have the guys coming up to fill those spots. Don't let it be lost, too, that the Jays don't have a great farm system by ranking, by depth right now. Uh, but that's in part because they've graduated a lot of guys to the major leagues out of that farm system in the last few years. And yeah, Vlad's the last regime, but there are a lot of guys contributing on this team that have come from that farm system and no longer count and still have years of control. So um, that keep that in mind when you look at things like that. Uh, we're joined now from down at Rogers Center where uh, Arden, I, Arden's welling uh, of at the letters and sports at .ca. I hate to break this to you, man. The Jays are on the road. You're at the wrong what? stadium. Shut up. Is that why there's no turf down on the field? I thought that was suspicious. No, that's just, they're going to try to do the renovations live as, uh, <laughs> as games are going on. Um, how are you, man? What are we looking forward to you from, t- uh, from you tonight on TV? Uh, so Rash and I are going to be posted up here for the next, uh, three, four, 10, 15 hours, however long it takes, uh, reacting to news, maybe getting a little news, talking to Ross, uh, doing hits on Tim and friends and Blue Jays central and, and all those good places. So it's, it's, it's a little fluid right now as things are on, on deadline day, but looking forward to it. Yeah. The, the utility man over here, writing radio TV, what can't you do? Um, 
the Jays still in the market uh, for guys, I'd imagine. Um, but what is your your quick take on turning Jordan Groshans into Anthony Bass and uh, Zach Pop? I think it's in line with the prices that we're seeing this uh, deadline. Inflation is very real in MLB. Right now, it's funny to look at the returns on guys like Castillo and Montes and then compare them to, like, Jose Barrios last year. And it's, whoa, what a deal the Jays got on Jose <laughs> Barrios. This is, like, similar control and similar ability and starters is going for right now. But, yeah, when it comes to Groshans for Pop and, uh, and Bass and the player to be named later, like, like, I think it's fair. I think it's a good deal for both sides. I, I know that, you know, the, the top prospect has just moved, so we're all supposed to, like, pick it as false now, right? We're all supposed to say why he wasn't actually that good. I'm still a Jordan Groshans believer. I think I'm probably higher on him than, than most. I think he's been hurt so much by a lack of development time at a really crucial point in his trajectory. He had that foot thing early in his career with the Blue Jays. It really limited him, really held him back. And then he went into the pandemic year of 2020 and didn't get a game and was stuck at the alt site. So he went like two full seasons without playing the game. So I think he was just hurt by that missed developmental time. And I do kind of wonder if he's a guy who the power will come for a bit later in his trajectory, still only 22. And just having spent time around him, having talked to him and, and been up close to him, like big dude, really big frame, a lot of room to still fill out into that frame. Not at all a, a long-term guy at shortstop, I don't think, because he's like too low-sized at shortstop. He's just too big. I think he's a long-term third baseman. But I do kind of wonder if, if better things are, are coming for him somewhere down the line. I just think that just for the Blue Jays, like considering how much development time he lost, how much more time he was going to need, where he's at with the 40-man having to be added this winter, it just made sense to, to use him right now. I don't think he really lined up well with the Blue Jays and, and where they would need him coming, you know, coming up. It's not like the Blue Jays have big leads up the middle, in the middle infield right now, or even at third base in, in the near future. And they do have very big needs in the bullpen. So, so they address that with Bass and Pop. And I'm sure you and your listeners hope uh, more to come. Yeah, in terms of more to come, uh, C. Trent Rosencrantz of The Athletic tweeting out that uh, the Reds are in serious discussions with the Twins on Tyler Molle. Uh, obviously, we know he, at last report, was not an option for the Blue Jays. But um, what do you gather in terms of the Jays' closeness to being finished? Like, are we... You said you and Arash are down there responding to news, reacting to news. You're expecting more news between now and 6 o'clock. Yeah, I'm expecting more from the Blue Jays. Um, we'll see. You never know. It's going to depend on just how things go and what we got two hours and 20 minutes here, right? So it's kind of crunch time. This is where prices can move, or this is where, well, I wouldn't have done that at 12 noon, but <laughs> we'll do that at 5.30 can kind of change. So we'll see how those things fluctuate, but I think clearly the Blue Jays need more reinforcements with this roster. I mean, even, you know, adding Bass and Pop, yes, Bass goes straight into your bullpen, but Pop's got options. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not like you couldn't add more relievers without sacrificing anybody from the roster right now. You, Pop is optionable, which, you know, I'm not sure you would like to see his velo in the bullpen right now, but if you could go out and get an even better reliever to, to slot in there and have Pop be a layer of depth, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And I still think there's room for a, a depth starter 
as well. I, I, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that frontline guy. I don't think it's going to be Frankie Montes as much as the Blue Jays would have liked it to be. But, uh, you know, if there's a depth starter out there as well as the Blue Jays can add before 6 p.m., I think they're going to be motivated to do that. Okay, so I've got a tier of kind of depth starters here. And I just so I'm going to throw a couple names at you and see if there's one that you like a little more than others or, or you think could be realistic. And obviously Noah Syndergaard has been the hot name. Uh, he's a name there, a Drew Smiley, JT Brubaker, Alex Cobb, Chad cool, Martin Perez. Uh, do any of those guys scratch an itch for you or in your eyes fit the type of rental the Jays might be looking for here? Smiley, I think is realistic. Okay. If you want like, who's like, yeah, most realistic of that group. And, and we know the blue Jays and, and Cubs have been talking about a number of different players. And, and I promise you that Smiley has come up and it won't be the sexiest addition if it does happen, but he is somebody who could absolutely eat some innings for you and absolutely be an upgrade for you over you know, number five in your rotation, whether that's Max Castillo right now or if somebody else gets hurt in the Blue Jays rotation and all of a sudden you're looking to the Casey Lawrence and the Thomas Hatches of this world. Chad Cool does scratch the itch for me personally. I was on him in the off season as hey this is somebody who the Blue Jays should sign because he has some very interesting pitch characteristics. He does some things other guys can't when it comes to, to spin rates and the way that he uses his slider. He's a guy who I've liked for a while. Um I just don't know about Colorado. Like, I don't know how to predict that organization and what they're going to do. If you had told me last week they were going to give Daniel Bard a two-year extension, I would have thought, what? But, I mean, Colorado just does not behave in ways that you would expect them to at, at trade deadlines in ways that other organizations do at trade deadlines. So it's so hard to say whether they'll actually trade a Chad Cool or not. But, yeah, if I had my druthers, Cool would be the guy. But Smiley is probably more realistic. So I, I do want to ask you about Syndergaard specifically just because, you know, that was a name that was out there last night. And as a, a listener just pointed out on Twitter, um, you know, the Angels and Phillies just made a deal that didn't involve Syndergaard. Uh, if the Twins are close on Molly, then, you know, maybe the Jays are one of the last remaining suitors for a Syndergaard. Obviously not the Syndergaard of old. The Velo's not there. The swing and miss stuff isn't there. But um could you see that being a play, especially if the Jays are leaning more toward eating some money to lower the prospect cost of an of an acquisition here? Yeah, it would be interesting how the money would work because there is like what seven seven and a half mil left. Yeah, seven point eight, I believe. Yeah, so this is more than taking on just an Anthony Bass, right? Like this is a, a larger expenditure, and, and as, if you want to talk about Grayson Iglesias as well, it's even bigger yeah. expenditure going forward too. But just as it pertains to Syndergaard, like my biggest question with him would be how confident are you in him shifting to a relief role later mm-hmm. this year? Because like, like, I'm sure you've been doing this your entire show. We have to be realistic about what Noah Syndergaard is right now. Like, This is not prime peak Syndergaard. This is like 94-95 Syndergaard. He still has like a, a decent change-up and a couple breaking balls, but like really isn't missing a ton of bats anymore. Isn't getting guys to expand a ton anymore um got rocked by the yankees uh the astros saw him well earlier this year i mean i, I think that you know there's some, some question marks as to whether he would be in your playoff rotation but if you believe that his stuff would tick up in a relief role later this season you know if he's the kind of guy who helps you get to the playoffs and then in the playoffs he's coming out of the bullpen for you that would be very interesting to me the question is do you think that his stuff would profile out of the bullpen do you think that he would be able to make that shift that role something he hasn't done before in his career um and can you ask a guy who's two years removed from tommy john surgery as well 
to do that? What kind of, what type of routines is he used to right now? You know, how is his arm feeling? I mean, what would that mean for him to go on on back to backs of a bullpen and things like that? So those would be the big questions I'd be asking as it pertains to Noah Syndergaard as well as just how the money would fit in budgetarily, but pretty good option as well. Yeah, it's uh, some real questions there, but this is why uh, you have. This is why you know when the deadline is, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't just come on you out of nowhere. Arden, one more quick one before uh, I let you go here. George Springer not in the starting lineup again tonight. John Schneider saying all the the usual things, of course, that um, it's just cautious. Uh, are we at a point where this feels more than cautious? It's it's a day to day management thing, right? And sure. It's a pain tolerance thing, and it's something that we're going to be talking about until the Blue Jays season is over. Honestly, like it's just going to be a reality for the rest of the year. And whether there's a conservative way of treating it in the off season, whether it requires a procedure, I don't know. The Blue Jays not going to tell us that. George Springer is going to tell us that. <laughs> Any of us who have talked to George Springer about it, you know, in the clubhouse and along the way, have uh, you know encountered some walls when it comes to uh, gaining information on it. He doesn't want to talk about it. He just says, "Yeah, I can deal with it. It's fine. It's a strange injury. Um, you know, it's something I'm going to be battling for the rest of the year, but I'm you know I, I'm able to to battle it." And it's a classic George Springer thing, right? Like one plate appearance, he'll um, take a swing and like look like he's about to fall into pieces and be grimacing and dropping his bat and in pain. And the next plate appearance, he'll hit a grand slam. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one one play in the outfield, he'll make a throw to the second base and come up grimacing and holding his elbow and, like, stretching it out. And then on the next, he'll have the craziest diving catch at the wall you've ever seen. Like, this is just George Springer. This is the experience. I mean, we've seen enough over these two years that this is what is to be expected. So, uh, yeah, I would say there's going to be plenty of load management days like these down the stretch, plenty of DH days as well. And the Blue Jays and George Springer are going to manage this thing as well as possible until it is the true stretch drive the end of September and into October when the Blue Jays hooked her in the playoffs when George Springer is going to have to be in there playing every day regardless of how well he feels. Yeah, well, playoffs, you get the extra off days here and there, right, if you make it past the wild card round. So uh, hopefully this all leads to that. Hopefully there are more moves ahead so we can get your analysis, Arden. Uh, David Robertson, by the way, off to uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. The Cubs have dealt him per Jeff Passan and a couple other uh, reporters out there. So another name to scratch off your list there, Arden. You can close that fan graphs tab or whatever. Um, but, man, so, so something more will come. Really looking forward to it. Uh, keep up the great work, buddy. I have moved the Fulmer tab to the front of my, oh, my no. window now. So we'll see. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> you want right. to watch him uh, walk a couple and then try to strike his way out of it? No, especially since the strikeout stuff isn't that good. It's just, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'll pass on that one. But, uh, yeah, if you'll be able to sell me on him if, uh, if they do get him. So that's the nice thing, at least. That's right. Thanks for having me, man. All right. Arden Zwelling of at the letters and sportsite.ca. He will be doing the sell you on Michael Fulmer as he pointed out. I don't know if he knew he was referring to me, but the Barry Jordan Groshans on his way out. Uh, this is a gimmick I've kicked around a lot in the past of give me two minutes on anyone's fan graphs or Statcast page and I can sell you on them or bury them for you. Uh, that's not what I was doing with Jordan Groshans because I've just not been a, a Groshans guy. The rare time that, uh, the rare time that Arden and I disagree pretty significantly on something like that, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, there are lots of texts in the text line. So I apologize guys. I'm not going to get to all of them. Uh, we're heading to the TV side in a few minutes here. I'll try to sprinkle some in still. Um, but basically there seem to be two schools of thought here. 
Uh, one that if the Jays had added these two guys earlier in the season, people would have been really excited about making a move for bullpen reinforcements. And it's not the deadline yet, which sure. Uh, the other being that the Jays haven't done enough yet. And even though the deadline's two hours away, not a lot of optimism, they'll make that chips on the table move. And then there's a third one, but there's another person in the text line about turning Alejandro Kirk into prospects. Does this one person have multiple phones? Who are the, who are you people excited uh, to move, to turn Alejandro Kirk into prospects uh, instead of, you know, the guy who's hitting in the middle of the order every day uh, for this team. That's a, that's a weird subset. I'm not telling anyone how to be a fan, but if the youngest player on the team is an all-star and hitting every day, extremely well in the middle of your lineup, it's probably not the guy I'm looking to move to add pieces uh, around your young existing core. Yes, you could get a lot back for him. But I don't know that you're trading Alejandro Kirk and getting back someone better than Alejandro Kirk. And that should be the mode the Jays are in right now. By the way, we have a lineup for the Jays tonight as they take on Drew Rasmussen and the Tampa Bay Rays. Again, normally we'd tee this up a little bit more, but we're two hours out from the trade deadline. So uh, we'll just take a, a couple minutes here. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. leads off. George Springer's out once again. As Arden just said, this is going to be an all-season thing, monitoring and managing that George Springer elbow issue. So Gurriel gets the bump to the one spot. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Alejandro Kirk catches Kevin Gosman and hits third. I make special note of that because Danny Jansen is the DH. We haven't seen this one much, if at all. Danny Jansen hitting so well that they're willing to throw him in the old DH spot. Not a, not a common one there at all, but good, good on Danny Jansen is eight thirteen OPS. Wouldn't mind seeing that OBP come up a little bit sub 300, but you're hitting at the bottom of the order and uh, you can't really be too, too picky when it comes to uh, what your catcher hitting at the bottom of the order, who, by the way, is also excellent defensively and calling a game, is giving you. This is his first time all season starting a game not at catcher. So interesting wrinkle there. So we got Guriel, Guerrero, Kirk, Bobachet, Teoscar Hernandez, Matt Chapman, Rymel Tapia in center field, Danny Jansen, Santiago Espinal. So uh, just the one lefty with Tapia, Drew Rasmussen on the other side. 317 ERA, hardly a, a big strikeout guy, but doesn't walk a lot of guys. Good ground ball percentage. Uh, despite the good ground ball percentage and the lack of swing in, not lack of swing and missed up, but not an elite strikeout rate, it's actually a fastball that he commands really well up in the zone. It has one of the highest spin rates uh, in baseball, so you get that kind of rising effect to it. It's 95-96. He'll also throw a 91-mile-an-hour cutter, an 84-mile-an-hour slider, and then... Tapia, the lone lefty in the lineup, might see some curveballs, uh, but probably not a ton. The Jays have faced Rasmussen 72 plate appearances in the past. Pretty iffy results. He started against them twice this year. One earned over five and two-thirds with only four base runners, and two runs, only one earned over four and two-thirds uh, with seven base runners. Only three strikeouts over those two appearances. So the Jays can get bat to ball here. They'll be counter, he'll be countered rather by Kevin Gosman, who 330 ERA, elite peripherals. Obviously, he's been, even if you think pitchers 
have some control or blame over this. A 385 batting average on balls in play is so extreme it won't last. Um, he's also got a difference between his um, stat cast numbers, what we'd expect and what we've seen. That's a lot of room for optimism that Gosman remains very good. He also has a 99th percentile chase rate, 79th percentile whiff rate, 96th percentile walk rate. However, his weighted on base average against, so that's kind of a catch-all offensive statistic, and his ERA have all increased, have both increased month by month throughout the season. It's been the fastball and the slider that have been the issue when he's had issues. He's had a couple games where the splitter got hit, but on the season, there's not a lot of splitter, not a lot of correlation between how effective his splitter is and what his overall results are just because the splitter is almost always effective. There's a little bit of a trend, the trend matching there, but some of his worst starts have come when the splitter is really effective and it's just the other stuff that's abandoning him. That splitter, by the way, 184 batting average against 46.6% whiff rate. His last three starts have been not elite. That splitter's still been elite. Um, he has faced this race team for 42 plate appearances, a whopping 28% strikeout rate and a 248 expected weighted on base average uh, against that's taking into account swing and miss walk and uh, quality of contact. It's very, very good stuff. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be on sports at 360 sportsnet sportsnet.ca and right here on sports at 590, the fan we've got John Morosi and Ben Nicholson Smith coming up in the next hour on Jay's talk plus on sports at 590, the fan.